When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on vocational counseling in a changing landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. I got my master's degree in voc vocational rehabilitation counseling, so this topic is near and dear to my heart. But it's very timely right now because a lot of people are finding that they're having to change jobs, if not careers. So we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to identify the purposes of vocational goals, learn ways to help people explore vocational wants and needs. We'll learn about the CGOE online, define and explore the concept of functional assessment a little bit, and we'll review skills related to finding, getting, and maintaining a job. So what's the difference between a career and a job? Now, I used to work in residential substance abuse treatment, and a lot of the people who would uh, go through the treatment program hadn't had a steady job in years, probably, and or they may have also have had some criminal convictions, have some jail time on there. So getting a job could be difficult for them, especially in their career of choice. Sometimes they had to start out um, with an entry-level position, and a lot of times there was a, a fair amount of consternation that, you know, I'm 45 years old, I'm 50 years old, I shouldn't have to start, you know, here. I shouldn't have to start doing this. Um, I had a friend who, when he got out of the military, uh, really didn't have much in the way of transferable skills, although I think they probably did him a disservice, but that's a whole different issue. Um, so he went at, after serving for eight years in the military, the first job he was able to get was being a pizza delivery driver. And he said that that was just agonizing on his self-esteem. So sometimes because of conditions either within your control that are in the past or completely without it, without outside of your control, you can't get your foot in the door in your career of choice right away. So you have to opt for a job. And I try to differentiate these when I'm working with people. A job is something that is a means to an end. It's going to provide you with something you need in order to get to your career. It gives you the ability to try on different vocations. Maybe you don't know what you want to do. So a job is something that you don't intend to stay at forever, but it's one where you might be able to stay at for, you know, hopefully a year uh, before moving on to something else. A job is often a stopgap until there's an entry point in your career of choice. It provides a paycheck. It helps you develop transferable skills. We'll talk more about those later. Helps you have a work history. So there's not gaps on your resume. If you do a good job, which hopefully you are, it'll provide you with references that can, you know, be called when you get that opportunity to enter your career of choice. It provides social support. You know, in this day and age, a lot of us, once we get out of college, a lot of our social support, our social networking and socialization is from work. So a job, even if it's not something you want to be at forever, um, can provide a lot of, can meet a lot of needs. And a job, even if it's not your ideal job, your ideal career, can provide a sense of self-esteem and a sense of accomplishment because it's providing a paycheck that's helping you be independent. It's helping you develop skills. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that it can do. Now, I have an asterisk by self-esteem because sometimes a job uh, can also take a toll on somebody's self-esteem if they used to do something that was, in their view, more important, and now the only 
position they can get is, you know, bagging groceries or working fast food or pizza delivery driver, and they feel like that is beneath them. So we need to look at and encourage people to examine the um, what's going on Examine that job from the perspective of dialectics and really exploring, okay, what does this mean? Is this something that I'm going to be in forever? Or is this helping me meet my basic needs right now? Now, a career is a vocation you see yourself enjoying and succeeding in. It's something that's long-term. A job is something that's a stopgap, maybe a summer job when you're in college, or right now, maybe a job that's going to tide you through until whatever business that you work at actually reopens. You know, a job may be temporary. A career is long-term. Careers have all the benefits of jobs, you know, paycheck, transferable skills, work history, references, social support, self-esteem. Plus, a career provides skill enhancement. For example, in counseling, you know, we start out generally as techs or, you know, some entry-level position, and then we develop skills either through formal education or informal education, supervision, and we can advance through up the ladder, up the corporate ladder, so to speak. So careers provide skill enhancement, and you're going to work on developing those. And a career has upward mobility and growth potential. Now, just about everything has the opportunity to be a career, whether it's something you want or not. I remember when I was in graduate school, um, I worked at uh, a pizza place and, you know, that wasn't something that I wanted to necessarily do forever. But some people that I was working with, you know, they were getting in entry level position and they wanted to, you know, run their own store one day. They wanted to get into management and management in certain types of food and retail establishments can pay really well and it can be a career that people really enjoy. So it's important not to assume that something that's a job to one person is not a career to someone else. You know, some people may really enjoy working in the restaurant business or the uh, movie theater business or something, and they see themselves moving up the corporate ladder. When they see that, that's a career. A job is something that's a stopgap. And I encourage people, you know, if they have to take jobs, to really view it as a something they've got to do right now. It's a means to an end and see that there is an end to it. So, yeah, I really hate this. It really sucks right now. However, you know, it's going to help me until I can get to where I want to be. Vocational needs and wants are really important. And each person is going to have their own needs and wants. Uh, and, and needs are something that are non-negotiable. This career, this job, whatever we're looking at, has to have certain characteristics for me to even take it. And then there are other things that I would love for it to have, but it has to have certain basics. For just about everybody, and, and I bolded these, the first thing it needs is physical safety and a paycheck. And I put paycheck under physical safety because a paycheck enables us to feed ourselves, keep a roof over our head, pay for our medical bills. So, you know, I didn't know where to stick paycheck, but paycheck is really important. And it may not be the pay that you wanted. I remember my first job out of graduate school. Um, I did not pay anywhere near what I wanted, but I knew that it was the beginning of my career. And I knew that I would have to stay at that, that rank and that pay grade uh, for about a year before I would be able to promote. And that's something that's important for people to talk about uh, with employers when they are interviewing, you know, what's the upward mobility potential in this organization? Most employers love hearing that because it in, um, insinuates that you're planning on staying there. Uh, and, and we really like to have people that stick around and um, embrace the company. But anyway, back to vocational needs and wants. Physical safety obvious. Drug-free environment. <sighs> now, not everybody needs a drug-free environment. Obviously, if somebody's in recovery from substance misuse, that's important. Um, 
I know, you know, let's just be true that there are occupations that tend to have more um, drugs available, whether it's among the workers or in the environment. Um, Somebody who is recovering from substance abuse uh, would not want to work in a bar, would not want to work necessarily in a restaurant where they served alcohol. Somebody who's recovering from uh, compulsive gambling wouldn't want to work in a casino. So it's important to figure out what environments are safe for them. They may not even want to work somewhere where they've got to handle lottery tickets. You know, it's important for them to consider that. Medical insurance is one of those things that's a vocational want, I guess. When you get a job, you want to make sure that you can pay your medical bills. And ideally, that will be a benefit of the position that you take. Affectively, your needs and wants. You want an environment in which you are not stressed out all the time and you feel proud and maybe even reasonably happy. And that differs for every single person. Uh, But for example, extroverts and introverts are probably going to prefer different work environments. Uh, A person who's an extrovert is probably not going to be happy in a vocation in which they are pretty much expected henceforth and forevermore to work by themselves in a lab or be, you know, in a cubicle doing something. That may be um, not a good fit for them. So it's important to find something that matches with your fit. And we'll talk about how to do that in a little while. And then structure versus spontaneous. People like me, I love structure. I need structure. I hate um, not being able to, within reason, anticipate what's coming next. Uh, Law enforcement would not be a good job for me. Emergency room would not be a good job for me. So I know those things. And it's important for people to know themselves and know what kind of environments that they're going to enjoy going to. Uh, and, And I have in here a feeling of pride. My grandmother, both of my grandparents on my mother's side, my grandfather had an eighth grade education and my grandmother had a sixth grade education. Uh, so obviously they were not getting, you know, super high, uh, Uh, jobs, super high paying jobs, but the jobs that they did, they loved. My grandmother um, was a job coach and just loved what she did. She worked at a factory as a job coach and she enjoyed getting up and going to work every single day that she worked there. And when that happens, even if not everything is perfect, uh, if you enjoy it, And it makes you feel a sense of pride. A lot of times, you know, that can account for a lot. Cognitively, you want it to be mentally stimulating, but not overwhelming. If it is completely overwhelming, that's going to be stressful. But if you're bored out of your gourd, you know, that can also be stressful. I remember working um, in a retail clothing store uh, one of the summers that I was off from college. And yeah, that just was it wasn't fast enough paced you know there was just there were only so many ways i could fold ties and and shirts um but you know something that was a little bit more interactive for me the social aspect i loved being a cashier you know that was another the job i got right out of undergraduate so there are it's important for people to know how much mental stimulation or socialization they need and advancement and growth cognitively uh we, de- we tend to want to be in positions that are going to help us grow. We're not going to be stagnant in. They're going to help us become better people, better employees, better something. Uh, so we do want to look for that in, in our vocations. Environmentally. Now, regular hours is really ideal because we've talked before about how circadian rhythms that are out of whack tend to cause a lot of stress for people. So even if it's regular midnight shift, regular hours that are not switching every three months is really important. Uh, For people who are in recovery from a mood disorder or an addictive disorder, a lot of times it's preferable for them not to work an overnight shift because uh, it's hard on their days off to maintain that same schedule and it's really important in uh, for people who are in recovery from any sort of mental health or addictive issue to get enough sleep. 
and to keep their bodies rested. And we want positive energy in our environment. It doesn't have to be all the time. There are going to be days where, you know, you have an auditor coming in or corporates coming in or something, and it's a little bit more stressful. But in general, you want to have positive energy wherever you work, however you define it. And where you feel comfortable, where any of you feel comfortable, may not be where the exact same place that I feel. So you want to have a positive energy where you feel you fit in. Relationally, people need work-life boundaries. And I would love to put that as a bold, as, you know, it's non-negotiable. But not everybody is insistent on that, especially if you're a single person, you know, you're not going home to, um, uh, to feed kids or something. Sometimes, while it's not ideal for long-term mental health, some people really, they just enjoy their work and they don't mind taking it home with them. Healthy interpersonal relations on the job are important if your colleagues don't communicate well or if there's a lot of infighting and, and snipping at each other. That is going to be challenging for anybody, let alone someone in recovery. And an effective supervisor. And I use the term effective. That's pretty broad. Some people need a supervisor who is motivating and what I would consider micromanaging. Other people need a supervisor that's more hands-off and says, here's a project. It needs to be done by Friday. Make it so. And it's important to be able to articulate the kind of supervision you need or you prefer and negotiate those things or know about them ahead of time. Because if you're one of those people that really resents being micromanaged, uh, then you want to make sure that you're not getting into a situation in which, you know, a a long-term career path in which your supervisors are going to regularly micromanage you. And that is more company-specific than job-specific, but some companies tend to be a lot more micromanagey than others. All right, so let's start talking about the fun stuff. Now, back in my day, I feel so old when I say that, the Dictionary of Occupational Titles and the Guide for Occupational Exploration were these big books. I remember when I took the classes when I learned how to use these. They were big honking books that we would have to lug to class. Now they are online. They are a a bit different than they used to be. Um, Let me see. I need to pull up the tab. Okay. Um, So ONET online, or you can get a print version, can help people start exploring jobs if they are displaced because of their, their company shut down or maybe they're displaced because they, you know, had an injury and they can't do the job they used to do anymore, or maybe they're displaced because they're coming back from the military. They've been in the military for 8, 12 years, and they are looking for a civilian job. Well, they can start exploring here. Now, there are a lot of different ways to look. They can look by the ones that seem to be growing fastest, the bright outlook, um, They can look by industry, job, family, job zone, or science, technology, engineering, and math. Or they can browse by abilities, interests, knowledge. There's a lot of ways we don't have nearly enough time to go into all this. But they can also, this one I did want to show you, look at a crosswalk. So if they're coming out of the military, they select military, select a branch, army, and signal corps. So if somebody was in the army as in in the signal corps, then these are civilian jobs that they may qualify for. So they can start looking through these job descriptions and finding out, you know, well, is that something that I might be interested in? When they click on them, it tells them, you know, more about the job and the different types of skills that they may need to have, you know, maybe um, certifications they might need to get, knowledge, you know, your basic skills, reading, critical thinking, abilities, work activities, you know, it gives them a general ideal idea about what their environment's going to be like, what their workday will be like, um, what kind of training that they may may need in order to get it, and where they can find training, certifications, or even apprenticeships to help them get those particular jobs. So there's a ton of information and resources on here. Um, The Interest Profiler is also on ONET, and you can just, you click on Interest Profiler, and it takes you through a 
online assessment. And, you know, I find that this isn't super um, on point. I had my both my kids take it. I've given it to clients. And it tends to be pretty general, but it's a great place to start if somebody wants to play around with it. And then we have <clears throat> the skills search. And this, again, is still on ONET Online. And I did this one for myself. So I did um, uh, advanced search skills and it took me to the skills search. And you go through and you check everything that you think you're good at, you like doing, you know, I can do math, but it's not my favorite thing in the world. So I left that blank. Um, so then I click on that and it gives me a litany of different types of jobs that based on my skills, I might be good at. And some of these like biomass plant managers, you know, I know good and well, that's going to require a whole lot more math and uh, technology information or uh, skills than I probably have. But it can help you get outside the box if you're typically only thinking about, you know, the most common uh, job titles. This helps people. I mean, I look at this chief sustainability officer. Well, that looks interesting to me. So I might click on that to see what kind of skills, knowledge, abilities, work context, etc. it might need. And that can help people really start looking at different types of jobs. If they haven't had a job history, maybe haven't had a lot of training, or like I said, they're trying to transfer, maybe they were in the military or in law enforcement their whole lives. A lot of cops, after 20 years, they retire, and then they start another career. And helping them figure out, okay, what skills do I currently have and how are they transferable? How can those, what, what other jobs might those same skills be useful in? And then find the last place on ONET that I will show you guys, um, the, if you look at find occupations and you can look at the occupation, um, handbook crosswalk, whoops, and to go back. So I typed in substance abuse counselor. So if you've been a substance abuse counselor, what else might you be able to do? Or if you're interested in things like substance abuse counseling, you could be a counselor, a mental health counselor, an education counselor, a rehab counselor, or maybe a genetic counselor. Now that's kind of out there. Um, that's a whole in terms of skills that you may need. But you can, t you can also type in um, post-secondary instructor psychology. Well, unfortunately with ONET, you know, my biggest complaint is it really doesn't narrow things down because engineering teacher. So it's just focusing on the post-secondary education part, not just the psychology. But, you know, the, line, the, the list is not huge. And you can go through and start looking at some of these and figuring out if any of them sound interesting to figure out, you know, whether you have uh, the skills and abilities. Fitness trainers, um, you know, there's a lot of different... Uh, and, Instructional designers and technologists and instructional coordinators are, you know, is actually a pretty quickly growing field. So ONET is great for exploration. It's not going to help people find a job. It's going to help them figure out what kind of job they want to look for. And then we go to the Job Accommodation Network, or JAN, and it's askjan.org. And this is super useful if you're working with somebody who has a disability, and it can be mental health, it can be, you know, like ADHD, depression, anxiety, OCD, um, addiction. You know, there are a lot of different, pretty much if there's anything that somebody has a diagnosis for, mental health or physical health, uh, that falls under the, the umbrella of the ADA, there's going to be a, an accommodation here. So let's just go here. Oops. All right. Let's do um, ADHD. That's a common thing that people have. So it tells you what ADHD is, tells you about ADHD and the um, Americans with Disabilities Act and uh, accommodating employees. Questions to consider if you're working with an employee who has ADHD, and then the big, the biggie, they give you key accommodations that you can make that are, remember, they have to be reasonable accommodations, not too um, onerous on the organization, but key accommodations that you could consider offering the employee in order to be compliant with the ADA. And then it also provides strategies for the individual with the disability that can help empower them to take charge of their part 
of the process. So it's, you know, both part both parties need to make accommodations and adjustments in order to make it work. Career One Stop is where a lot of people can access these services. They can work with a vocational rehabilitation counselor that can help them go through this stuff if they don't want to do it on their own. And that can be super helpful. Um, and you just go to careeronestop.org and you can find a ton of information to explore careers. A lot of this can be done online, which is great in this current environment that we're in. But you can also find career one stops that are near you. And you can go into the career one stop and get assistance with, you know, trying to figure out the direction for your uh, for your next vocation, or maybe even how to improve your current vocation. They also have information here for military and veterans and working with people with convictions or disabilities or young adults, you know, the not 18 yet um, or don't have a work history yet. Maybe they're just 18. They just graduated from, from high school. So there's a lot of information there. But again, to find local help, you just go to find local help. Put in your location and it will tell you where the nearest career one stop is. These are free services to people. It's not something that they have to pay for. So that's another awesome resource that, you know, their government tax dollars have already paid for. One stops not only can help people figure out what careers are best for them, they also have an awareness of local hiring trends. So they know that if you want to stay in Gainesville, Florida or Nashville, Tennessee, you know, these are the careers, these are the vocations that are growing the fastest in this particular location. Um, I know in Nashville, we have got warehouses popping up everywhere. Um, that So there's a lot of demand for people that are looking for warehouse type work, physical, physically demanding type work. Um, job coaches and one stops often have connections with addiction and disability and even felony friendly employers, which is good. That's part of their job is to make sure that they are doing outreach to the community because their goal is to help people get employed. It's also important to be aware of certain programs. Now, a lot of people are not aware of this, so I think it's important that I go over it. The federal bonding program has been around for 50 years. Uh, and, you know, you probably didn't hear about this when you were going through college. Um, but it is helpful if you're working with somebody who is hard to employ. Maybe you've got someone who has been a stay-at-home caregiver for their entire life. And now the kids have moved on. They've gone to college and this person is looking for a job. Well, they have no work history. They have no references that people can call. So that may make them a little bit harder to employ. The federal bonding program applies for justice-involved citizens, so people who've been arrested, individuals in recovery from substance use disorders, people who are on uh, public assistance, Individuals with poor credit records, sometimes a cre if you have a really bad credit history, uh, it may be harder to get employed, especially in a position where you might be handling money. Economically disadvantaged youth and adults who lack work history. So this isn't because they are disadvantaged economically, but because they don't have a work history, it may make them harder to employ. And individuals who are dishonorably discharged from the military. So these are some of the characteristics or groups of people who could benefit from this. The federal bonding program provides free of charge bonds in the amount of $5,000 with a zero deductible to cover employers in the, in the, in case that the employee steals something, um, embezzles something, you know, does something wrong. Now, $5,000 isn't a huge limit, but in when you're working with people who are justice involved, have poor work histories or no work histories, they're probably not starting out at a very high um, risk position where they could potentially cost the organization $250,000 or something. So this is a free service that helps em protect employers and can help employees get jobs. All they need to do is go to bondsforjobs.com. Click on the Directory of State Bonding Coordinators and find out who to contact in their area about how to get a uh, bond 
on themselves so they can uh, get a job. A lot of times the people that are working at the one stop may be the same people who do this or are in direct communication. So if they go to a one stop, they may be able to get this taken care of at the same time. Now, while we're on it, people who have criminal histories, you know, um, felonies especially, may find it difficult to get employee, uh, employment. In addition to the federal bond, which, you know, can be really helpful, you know, it's a no-brainer, it's no cost to anybody, um, the jobs for felons or felonyfriendlyjobs.org list identifies over 100 different companies that work with um, people who have felony uh, who have felony uh, convictions on their record. So you can go back to felonyfriendlyjobs.org and find out about where where they may be able to get jobs. There are some more things that you can look into if you're wanting to learn more about supported employment. Maybe you're working with clients who have significant intellectual disabilities. Um, so you can look at that later. Um, and SAMHSA also has a white paper on supported employment best practices. These are all linked in the PDF that are in your classroom. Uh, so you can look at those at your leisure. So let's talk about finding and getting a job. First, people have to create a resume. And at Career One Stop, they will help people with that. But there are also templates online that can help people create a resume. Uh, they can use skills and abilities identified from their ONET functional assessment. Uh, best practice for a resume is to try to keep it to one page and be prepared to address gaps in employment. So to apply for a job, most of the time you have to have a resume and you, you know, you send that out. We've all been down that road. These days, since so much is digital and there's so much with cancel culture and everything else, uh, employers are very concerned about the profiles and the uh, messages of their employees, whether it's fair or not, you know, you can debate that, but uh, it's important to clean up your social media. Uh, people who are looking for jobs need to go back through and, you know, make some of their, you know, if, if their Instagram is full of scantily clad selfies, they may need to make those, you know, private or shared only with friends. Um, look at their Facebook, look, look at their, any social media account that they have. And also recognize that, you know, like on Twitter, if they are commenting on something that potentially could be found. So it's important to be cognizant of what you're putting out there in public. And yes, I know one of our rights is to free speech, but uh, as I said, in the current culture, uh, that doesn't necessarily play so well in the employment market. Um, and a lot of times employers not only will, you know, look to make sure that there's nothing in your social media that may reflect poorly on the company, but they also may look and see, are you the type of person who goes around and trolls a lot? Are you the type of person that likes to, in my household, we call it poke the bear? Um, or are you one who tends to provide inspiring, uplifting types of supportive types of comments? In the interview, it's important to help clients understand what it means to dress for the occasion. Even if you're applying for a job that is going to have a uniform or is going to be ultra casual like landscaping, you don't want to go in uh, and look like you've been working all day doing that job. You want to go in and present in a very professional, in a very professional manner. People need to be on time. And in my book, on time means 10 minutes early. Uh, it's definitely something that a lot of employers take note of. If you are, you know, running in one minute before the one one minute before the interview, or if when they call you, you're already sitting there in the lobby and have caught your breath from coming in from outside. Don't overdo the perfume, cologne, or makeup. Some people um, have difficulty kind of navigating this, and this is especially true with people who have um, minimal work history. They may not be familiar with what is appropriate dress, what is appropriate um, makeup and, and that sort of thing, presentation in a work environment. They want to 
put their best foot forward. So they may think that, well, I need to smell really good. Um, and that's not so much the case, especially again, in this, uh, in our culture right now, there are a lot of people who are sensitive to scents. And, you know, sometimes it's better to forego the perfume or cologne altogether. And in, in the interview, stay positive. That's so important. I encourage people that I work with, they're getting ready to go out on their job interview. I really encourage them to uh, pay attention to their mood. And I encourage them to use uh, guided, Im not guided imagery, but um, rehearsal. Uh, guided visualizations and see themselves going through the interview, see themselves handling it successfully. It's helpful to rehearse with your clients what an interview might look like. When they're looking for a job anymore, it seems like it is important to have a profile on LinkedIn. Um, evidently in colleges, they now encourage um, students to go ahead and develop that. So I will encourage people to also develop a profile on LinkedIn. They can have their resume there, um, and that's great. They can go to sites like Indeed, Glassdoor, ZipRecruiter, etc. I think Monster still exists, uh, to look for jobs that have been posted. It's also important if you are looking locally, or well, that's not even true, if you're looking remotely. When you're looking for a job, identify companies that you might want to work for and go directly to their HR page, go directly to their employee and hiring page. A lot of times, if you contact them, they will let you submit your resume. So when they have a job that fits you, um, that it'll be on file. And then that resume is good for like six months or something. So it can't hurt to contact companies that you're interested in working for. Some people want gig work which is basically independent contractor work. And that's cool too. You know, that allows people a lot of flexibility in their time, what they're doing, when they're doing it. Um, so places like Fiverr, Upwork, People Per Hour, and Design Crowd are current websites that offer uh, places for people to post an ad saying that they're available to do gig work as well as for potential employers to go and find people who may have the skills that they There are also things like um, uh, Lyft and, and driving and, and those sorts of things that are available. It's important to figure out also whether remote work is for you. A lot of people, because of the pandemic, are going more towards remote work. <clears throat> and some people have always preferred remote work but it's not for everybody. Uh, do you have an environment in which you can do remote work? You know, can you go into a room and shut the door and not be bothered? Do you have, like out at the farm, we have really crappy internet. So there's no way I could do my presentations uh, from the farm. If I wanted to work remotely, um, we'd have to make some significant changes there. So making sure you have an environment that's conducive to the job that you want. Do you have the personal discipline to get up and do your work every single day and devote that eight hours to it without getting distracted? I have a hard time working from home unless I go into the basement, which is my home office, um, and, and shut the door. If I am upstairs with the dogs and the kids and everything else, I get distracted to just too much going on. Um, do you have the discipline to do it, to actually get your work done? And can you get this type of supervision you need remotely? Sometimes people need more um, micromanaging or what I call it looming helicopter uh, supervision, which you're probably not going to get as much from a remote position. Socialization. If you're somebody who really thrives on, you're an extrovert, you really thrive on interaction and you really need to be around you know, colleagues, then remote work may be a bad fit for you. Uh, so it's important to recognize what needs the job or the career is fulfilling for you. Now, there are remote work positions like being a customer service rep where you're talking to people all day long and that may be plenty to satisfy socialization needs, but it may not. And then do you have the computer skills? Most remote work involves using computers. Do you have the ability, do you have the knowledge to use the different types of programs that you would need to use to do that remote work? 
Now, there are a lot of suggestions on um, different interview questions that are there and how to answer them. I encourage you or encourage people to go to websites like this one on Monster. It has the top 100 interview questions and how to answer them. Uh, tell me about yourself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Why do you want this job? You know, the ones that we've all heard. And it goes through ways to effectively answer them and also talks a little bit about why employers might be asking it and kind of what they're looking for. Um, the Muse provides your ultimate guide to answering the most common interview questions. And then this one from college grad is 10 tough interview questions and great answer. So it, it's important to look for a range of things. If you're working with somebody, for example, who uh, maybe has a criminal history or has gaps in employment, they may want to specifically look at interview questions around those things. And again, these are all linked off the PowerPoint, PowerPoint, the PDF in your classroom. So you can look at them more later. Maintaining a job, help people recognize what it takes to maintain a job. I took it for granted that this was something that kind of everybody knew, but that would be wrong. Punctuality is very important. And punctuality in maintaining a job means being there at the time uh, you are supposed to at the time you're scheduled it and it doesn't recognize uh, uh, cultural factors in punctuality some cultures are a little bit more uh, loosey-goosey with time they tend to you know be a lot more forgiving and punctuality is a little bit defined a little bit differently but in at least in the U.S. Uh, punctuality typically is defined very distinctly as a particular time you're expected to be there, not a minute later. Make the tasks. When you're at a job, there are always going to be tasks that you hate. And I work with people to help them, you know, if it's, whether it's a job that they only plan on keeping for a year or it's a career, you know, there are things in my career, like doing notes, I hate charting. Um, I, I will admit that. But figuring out how to make the tasks you hate manageable because they have to be done. It's a necessary evil. Find solutions to problems. Instead of always finding problems, find solutions. My favorite supervisor, uh, I worked for him for about 14 years. And one of the things he would always say is, I am happy to talk with you about any problems that you're having. But don't come with me, don't come to me with your problems until you also have solutions. And <clears throat> that was a really important learning tool and one that I use with my staff now that, you know, I recognize that there may be problems, but I also want you to have a stake in this and try to figure out, okay, what are some different ways we might be able to solve this problem? Ensure when you're working at, at any job or career, there are going to be times where you just don't want to go. Uh, ensure frequent rewards. It's really important to remember why you got into it in the first place and ensure frequent rewards. Uh, a paycheck every two weeks is great, but you know, sometimes you need a little bit more than that. So figuring out what you can do to make that job enjoyable. For me, I keep a journal that is obviously anonymized um, of clients that I've had or experiences that I've had in, in session where a client has had an aha moment or I felt like things we well, um, or, you know, teaching when I have a particularly good class, you know, I try to make note of those things that, so that I can go back and remember that, yeah, that, that's why I'm doing, and it helps bring up those things again. So I, I can be like, all right, I'm, I'm making a difference somewhere. Review the benefits of your job regularly. And I don't mean, you know, looking at your 401k. I mean, what is it that you're getting out of this? How is this benefiting you and your mental health? How is this helping you achieve the goals that you want or become the to be? Review your job expectations on a regular basis and identify areas for improvement. Now, that's not so much your expectations of the job, but what your supervisors expect of you. You know, that annual evaluation you get. 
Make sure that it's clear what's expected of you and review it on a regular basis to go, yeah, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. Oh, well, I could probably do a little bit better here. That will always help you strive toward improvement. Maintain a support system outside of work. Even if you get a lot of your socialization needs met at work, sometimes you just need to leave work at work and let your hair down and go to Disney World or something. I don't know. But where you don't, there is no risk of even mentioning the drama from the office. Remember that you often recreate your family of origin at work. And this is an interesting one for a lot of people because when they sit back, they actually do see how they may have started to recreate or project onto certain people. And that can help them um, figure out why certain people may be triggering to them and others are not or why they um, excessively facilitate some people and you know, they, they don't want to help others. You know, there are, there are a lot of reasons, but it's important to rec remember that we often do do this. And that is a great place to start assessing and addressing any interpersonal dysfunctions, you know, knowing that, okay, well, I don't get along really well with my dad, for example. And I can see that, that I may be recreating that relationship with the um, supervisor in the next office. How much of that is dealing with that supervisor and, and that person in, in particular, and how much of it is a projection from the past that I need to deal with? Regularly discuss your work relationships with your coach, sponsor, or therapist. If you're in recovery, it's important to discuss these things because those people who are independent observers may be able to help you gain some insight as to why certain people kind of get under your skin easier than others. Seven steps, you know, the uh, seven uh, habits of highly effective people. It's important here too. And I use it for mental health. I use the seven habits a lot. Begin with the end in mind. Ask yourself, whether it's a one-year job, a temporary job you're taking, or you're starting in a career, what do you want out of this job? Be proactive in that job to achieve your goals. So if this is a short-term job that you are using in order to establish a work history so you can, you know, get a better job somewhere else, well, be proactive. What is it that you need to do to establish that work history and get those good references so in a year you can start applying for other jobs? Manage your time purposefully. Don't get sidetracked with drama or shinies. And drama is obvious, you know, try not to get caught up in work drama. Shinies, in, I de define that as, you know, things that are going on at work that you'd much rather do. You know, when I was working in residential, I could always find some sort of crisis or something to do besides my paperwork, um, unless I was being self-disciplined. So making sure to manage your time purposefully, even if there are some things that you'd rather do, make sure you get the got-tos done. Create a win-win situation. Whenever you're trying to do something, make sure it works for you and the company. Um, you know, if you're proposing working from home three days a week because you've got a, a child who can't go to daycare, um, how is it, you know, you need it to happen for your reason and you know what, what you want to ha have happen. How can this situation work best for the company? How is it going to benefit the company? You know, maybe it means they won't have to replace you and you're still going to be productive because, you know, you can demonstrate that you've got a, an area set aside where you can work, whatever. Um, and there's also creating win-wins with your colleagues. You know, there are always going to be give and take, you know, I will do this for you so you can do this so you can, you know, get your paperwork done or, or whatever the case may be. But compromising and helping each other out is always important. Not always looking for getting your way, but figuring out how to make anything that you want to have happen a win for everybody. Seek first to understand, then be understood. I love this one. A realtor, for example, wouldn't start making suggestions about houses to buy before understanding the buyers. When I would take over management positions, I would always sit back for three to six months and just watch. I would want to understand what was going on, why it was happening, how it was happening. I want to understand first and then start talking about, you know, helping them under, understand my perspective about what needed to change and why. One of my job, 
one of my main jobs usually, they would put me into underperforming departments. And so I would bring them up to speed. So people kind of knew when I was there that I was going to be making changes. But it was always important for me to understand what was going on and why. And also when I'm making changes to understand, you know, how that impacts people. And make, again, make a win-win, not just an edict that this has to change. Uh, So it's really important to understand who you're dealing with and how you impact them uh, first before, you know, trying to get them to understand you. Synergize either with others that complement your skill set that can help you with things you're not good at. Billing, you know, that is not my forte. Uh, following up on billing and, um, you know, getting pre-auths and all that kind of stuff. You know, that is the detail-oriented stuff that I know I stink at. Uh, So the billing people, I I revere them um, at my office. Uh, You can also find other people with the same skill set that may be able to help you complete tasks more efficiently. When we would have audits, for example, I knew people who were really good at going through charts and doing the audits and making sure everything was squared away. And I would pull them in and we would divide up the task. So each one of us had maybe 25% of the charts and we got through it more quickly. And finally, sharpen the saw. It's important to try to set work-life boundaries so life is not only about work. If everything you do and say and think is just steeped in work, then if something goes wrong with work, you know, you may feel like your world is crumbling. So it's important to set work-life boundaries and recognize those other things that make your life rich and meaningful. And seek out additional training and resources because theoretically a vocation is something that you're going to be in and you're going to grow in. So sharpening the saw means getting new skills that make you more effective or more marketable. Burnout work environments are common. They are characterized by unclear requirements, discipline without reinforcement or recognition. They're impersonal. They tend to be high stress with no downtime, you know, just boom, 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 boom. Lack of personal control or no say in how things get done or what you do and poor communication. In addition, if you're working with people who are in recovery from addiction, money management can be a big issue because when they start getting those paychecks, a lot of times money is a huge trigger for relapse. Direct deposit is important. Uh, In many banks, you can set up a co-signer if the person wants to withdraw more than $50 in a day. Uh, encourage them not to get an ATM card or a debit card. So they actually have to, you know, actively work at getting money. Help them figure out how to use prepaid credit cards to rebuild their credit and develop a budget. And they may work with a financial counselor to do that if budgeting's not your thing. But that all of that can be huge to helping people not get triggered by having all this new money and also make sure that they are allotting that money to the basics, you know, food, shelter, um, gasoline. We also need to pay attention to work addiction and compulsion. Some people will just throw themselves into their work in early recovery because they don't have to feel, they don't have to engage with the world if they're at work. But that can become as much of a compulsive behavior as uh, some other thing. Employment provides a variety of benefits to the person in recovery and, well, to anybody. It can help enhance your self-esteem because you feel like, hey, I'm doing this and I'm self-sufficient. It can provide structure, financial independence, social support, and a safe place to practice for people in recovery, practice new communication and interpersonal skills and even job skills. ONET and your career one-stops provide great resources to identify career skills and abilities and jobs that fit the person. Are there any questions? If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. That's allceus.com slash podcast CEUs. To sponsor an episode of Counselor Toolbox and reach over 50,000 clinicians per week, go to allceus.com slash sponsor. Thank you.